The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Welcome everybody. It's <clears throat> nice to see so many people here. I think there's a lot of new faces here. So it's a very nice. Uh, my name is Ajamudito, if you don't know me yet. And so today we'll be having a, a little bit of talk, guided meditation. Um, the meditation will last about 40 minutes, 45 minutes. If you feel that it's too long, there's no, no need to get too anxious. You can just get up, walk very, very quietly to the back of the hall and, and relax for, for, for a while. <clears throat> After the, the meditation, there will be a little Q&A. So we can discuss how your meditation went and how you felt. I would ask everybody to put your uh, phones on silent or um, don't disturb mode because it's a really jarring experience when if your mind starts getting quiet and your neighbor's goes off, uh, phone goes off. So please do so. Today we got the news on the on the APC. One of the local temples here burned. It was the, apparently, it was the, the biggest, the single biggest temple in whole Australia. Of the whole, it was the biggest, the footprint was the biggest, what we have in Australia. It's quite interesting how a lot of distress um, came from that, which is understandable for the community. But eventually we have to realize there's none of this, none, nothing in the life is permanent. Nothing is completely reliable. You cannot rely on anything. The interesting, I was just thinking, there's a famous sutta, which we chant during our range retreat. The monks do three months meditation retreat every year. And one of the chants we chant is, Aritapariyaya Sutta, which is the everything is burning. In that Sutta, it says that everything is burning because of um, uh, greed, hatred, and delusion. It doesn't obviously maybe apply for this this fire of the whole burning. There's seats here in the front if you want to sit. Um, but we can see in our own life that a lot of the things which keep us um, sort of lit, which keeps us fuming over the nights, it's caused by one of those things. See, the greed, hatred, delusion is difficult to see. But uh, the, definitely the greed and hatred keeps us... Uh, uh, glowing at night time like the charcoal pit. There's a lot of heat what comes from those things. Ajahn Brahm has a nice saying. He says that um, we should build hearts, not holes. Holes are impermanent. Nothing in this hole is going to last forever. The hole is made out of bricks carpets, windows, all those things. We give it a meaning as the Buddhist Society of Victoria's Meditation Hall. 
Well, ultimately, there's nothing there. If you start taking it apart brick by brick, eventually it all disappears. There's a point where you can say that until then the whole appears as a whole. But even if you start putting one brick at a time, put it back, it's now one distinguishing feature where you could say that the whole appears again. But it's quite interesting in Buddhism, you are made the same way as a human. There appears to be somebody there, but it's because of cause and conditions and things that are coming together, you appear. Our perceptions are one of the things which really create the world. One of the big things Ajahn Brahm always says is your will, your volition, your choices, you think you choose. But perception is one of the things which is quite interesting as well, which I haven't really talked that much. So I thought just before I got here that I should talk about perceptions. The Pali word for perception is sanya. Sanya means really, uh, perception is a good translation, but you can also translate it as a, the way you see the world. There's one seed here in the front and this, this seed's there, whatever. However, where you want to sit, yeah. The way we see the world clouds everything. You put almost like the color tinted glasses on, on every moment. It clouds your thinking, but it cl clouds your everything you hear, everything you see, everything you feel. All the five senses are clouded by perception. There's no ultimately nothing which you don't create. You create the world. So with the, the burning of the hall, for some people it's very traumatic event. I've heard that people from this community, they, put a, they went there for a long time. Perhaps they have the ashes of the loved ones there in that hall. It has a lot of meaning. They give it that meaning. That hall has a lot of perceived value. I'm sure it does. But ultimately, there's nothing solid, real, with your perception. For us who are not so involved in a community, I am perhaps a little bit more involved from this community because being a monk in the Buddhist Society of Victoria and there was a beautiful email where there were um, some of the people and members of our society already said that we should uh, provide a fund, so you know, have like a support for the for that for the rebuild for that um, temple, just to even if you don't raise that much money, at least it's a moral support, and I think it's a good idea. It's good to have a moral support to somebody who has just been burned down. They've been really flattened emotionally and by the whole. But nothing in this world is solid. And not just that, everything is shaped by your perceptions. It's one of the things what makes us as a human, our perceptions. 
And there's nothing ultimately right or wrong about our perceptions. But we can say that it's me. This is how I see things. But once you start seeing the cracks in that perception, you start seeing that the other people's perceptions might not be right or wrong. They're just perceptions. They're not right or wrong either, ultimately. So you can be, or you can give more forgiveness towards these other people. You can be more at ease with others. Sure, they have strong ideas about the, how the world works, and this is right, this is wrong. Their perception is not right or wrong either. It's just how they see the world. We create the world. So, I thought today we're going to do a little, uh, guided meditation about blue skies. There's always blue skies out there. Even if the clouds of greed, hatred, delusion are clouding, giving the clouds on our world. It's very easy to perceive the world with negativity, right? It's very easy to fall into the trap of everything. Nothing seems to be that interesting. And yet, tonight we have beautiful sunset here in this hall. We have a beautiful opportunity to just sit quietly. And it's interesting with that, with meditation. A lot of people say that they cannot meditate. Let's say we do a breath meditation, the breath never stays with you. It's because you don't give it, you don't look at it correctly. You don't perceive it the way it should be perceived. You don't give it the value. It's not important, right? It's more important for you to go daydreaming. That's what you think. So will the object stay with you if you don't give it the value? If you don't brighten it up, make it interesting, give it kindness. Why is it so difficult for us to see something in positive light? That I don't know really, but it's almost like an, you can contemplate it that way. Your mind tends to, at least, okay, I'm talking about more my mind. My mind tends to always fall into the traps of starting to be quite negative. It's very easy to go that way. But sometimes you just have to see, sure, there's clouds, but most of the sky is blue. So let's try to do that. Let's try to, I don't know how this is going to go. You never, never know how these guided meditations go, but let's try to do that. Let's try to have positive thinking energy into the meditation. So if you wish, you please take a, this comfortable seat and position as you, as you want. <clears throat> Stretch a little bit, make sure your bum is nicely softly resting there. If somebody has a too big of a cushion, there's a slightly smaller cushion here if you're sitting too high. Or if you want to sit on the ground, there's one more hot seat in right in front of me.
Then close your eyes so we close one of the five senses. It's easy to close our eyes and after a while when you see the blankness behind your eyelids, that disappears. Hearing is one of the things which is difficult to let go. Hearing is one of the last senses, maybe the last sense, really what disappears when we're meditating. So now it's time to relax. It's so nice sitting in this beautiful hall with all your beautiful people. I'm so grateful to be here with you. I feel really grateful to be able to teach all of you. Whether I'm the best teacher or not, that doesn't matter. We bring our minds back to this hall a little bit by feeling what it feels to sit on this cushion. The cushion under our bums or the seat feels warm. There's pressure points here and there. And if you feel like moving around, getting the cushion right, make sure you do it. You're going to be sitting for a little while. So make sure you're really, really comfortable. Don't think you have to sit in with one kind of posture and that's going to guarantee your enlightenment. The main thing is to be comfortable. Nobody ever told me when I started meditating that pain is, is a big hindrance to the meditation. So make sure you're not in pain. And if the pain comes afterwards, when we're meditating, sitting quietly, quietly move your legs or adjust your back, whatever it is, your ankles. But do it really quietly so that the people around you have also a, have a peace of mind. Do it carefully like you care about these people around you, which you might not know. But there's a lot of really nice people around you. Feel the body sitting upright. Perceive it as good enough. These bodies can never be perfect, but they are good enough.
it keeps sticking along and we're still alive. So we can keep resting here for a while. Usually I do scan, scan meditation from all the way from the feet. But today, let's just get the bottom part of our body quickly in a nice posture. The legs are tucked away underneath you or underneath the chair. Just look, everything below your pelvis. Make sure it's nice and comfortable, soft and gentle. Just quickly scan down from your pelvis down to your feet. Imagine what it looks like. Your legs. And relax. Be kind towards both of your legs. Then feel the stomach moving up and down, up and down. And breathe into the stomach, contentment. This is good enough. We are happy to be here. Even if there is sadness, anxiety, depression, feel the stomach going up and down, in and out. Perceive it as soft and gentle. For a while, just a short period, we have nothing to do, nowhere to go. We are just breathing into the stomach. Softness and gentleness. And if the depression, anxiety, worry comes, 
Move your attention back to the stomach. And we are just breathing in. Contentment. Feel your whole body underneath your neck. As if it was soft and gentle. Plasticine. Something very malleable. Just breathing into the body. The whole body is alive, taking along. The world outside, outside of ourselves, doesn't matter so much. For a while, we are just sitting here by ourselves, like we would be sitting in a little nook in a quiet place. It's so nice to be here. Even if the tiredness or negative things come to your mind, it doesn't matter so much. Now we're moving into the face. What is your expression on your face? How does it feel like? Imagine an expression on your face of contentment. Perceive the world in this way. 
there is still sunshine out there. What would your face look like if you're just content, happy to be here, perceiving a sunlight on your face? The sun is still shining on your face. Even if they are other perceptions in your mind. Never mind. Move your attention back to your face and feel different parts of your face. When you have contentment, If you can stay content, for a while, everything starts to relax, soften up, slowly, slowly. And once in a while, move your contentment That's okay. Move your contentment into the breath. We cannot control the world outside of ourselves. The only thing we can control is our own mind.
a sound comes, but it has disappeared. Don't keep playing that in your head. Don't worry about the outside world. Just feel the contentment again. Change your perception. This is good enough. And even if there's another phone ringing, it doesn't matter. Breathe in contentment. And breathe out, letting go. Whatever happens in outside world, it doesn't matter so much. You have your own little space. Again, if your mind goes wandering, feel contentment 
and then once in a while look. If there is a contentment on your breaths,
Now we are starting to get we are starting to get close to the end of the meditation. Your mind has just started to slow down. Take a few moments and see the perceptions. See the perceptions in your mind. How do you see the world? Now that your mind is slightly more quiet, carefully move your attention to your breath for a few more moments. Now carefully very gently feel feel a thing what could bring more contentment into your life.
I'm going to ring the bell. Listen very carefully. The bell three times and then come back to this world. Well, that was an experience. Very good. It's interesting to see how perceptions can be clouding our minds. And it's very easy to fall into certain kind of perceptions. My teacher, Ajahn Brahm, stayed in a monastery in, in Thailand. And in the monastery, you would think in these forest monasteries in Thailand are quiet. But actually, they are very, very noisy and busy places, some of these forest monasteries, because they are the village meeting places. And outside Wat Pananacha, quite often the villagers there used to have parties until 12 o'clock at night time, or even later. And the monks have to wake up 3 o'clock in the morning. So the monks from the forest monastery went to Ajahn Chah and said, for Nanachan went to Ajahn Chah and said, can you ask the villagers to please be quiet? And because the villagers would listen to Ajahn Chah, he was the very senior monk in the village. And Ajahn Chah asked why. And the young monks, the international, the and the monks said, because they're making so much noise that we cannot really meditate. And Ajahn Shah said, you look at the, vo the noises like they are your teachers. Same thing they did. Ajahn Shah said about the mosquitoes in this uh, uh, jungle where they lived. Every mosquito is like your teacher. The Thai word is Ajahn, like my name is Ajahn Mudito. They're your teachers. You see a certain things triggering us in the world. The world gives us objectives, something to contemplate. There's a noise what comes when you're meditating. A mobile phone. The voice comes, but then it disappears, but your mind keeps burning with greed, hatred, delusion, like the Buddha said. Be careful, don't let those 
fires burn in your life all the time. When you're meditating before you go to bed, are you burning with anger, grief, like the coal pit? Or are you being kind, gentle, trying to have more objective reality in your life? Change your perception. It can be done. Very good. Is there any questions here or, or online? No, 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 no. Okay. Let's maybe we start like to take one online. Is there anything online yet? Thank you, Ajahn. Yes, there's one question online. Um, thank you, Ajahn. Can you comment on using a mantra along with the breath during meditation, for example, Budo, Budo? And what about a mantra outside of meditation to calm the mind? Sometimes I try it when the mind is feeling very busy. Yeah. Um. It's difficult to keep the, with the, I mean, the mantra. I've never been very successful myself for longer periods of time. We usually do, in our tradition, we do more like a contemplation meditation. So you see things impermanent or we see that we did a death contemplation here on Saturday and we see that um, that is the reality. We do those kind of contemplations. The the mantra you can use it as when you when you breathing in and breathing out. You really feel that the breath soothes you down, and then the breath becomes more important. The mantra itself, I think, they're really difficult. If you're really really diligent, you might be able to keep up updated with that kind of practice, but. I was never really taught that, and I, and thus I never really have done a lot of uh, uh, mantra meditation. I know the Thai Thai thing of doing the Buddha, Buddha, Buddha is because it's like a contemplation of the Buddha. It's supposed to bring you a like an image of the Buddha, that, that respect that uh, the value of it. So it does, when you do something, you appreciate something, it, it stays with you because that's the, you're contemplating the Buddha, the Buddha, Buddha, Buddha. But for a lot of us, we don't have it. So, so the respect is missing sometimes, at least for me as a Westerner, I never, I didn't grow up with that. So the, the kind of sweetness, what we're supposed to, uh, it's supposed to bring it's uh, it's lacking in me it might work for some people I don't have it but I do yeah so I, I don't know I don't I don't have that much to say about uh, mantras really yeah I'll leave it there anything yes can you take the microphone so people online see thank you Uh, Ajahn, I wanted to ask you, um, you mentioned that in your practice uh, you do uh, a lot of contemplations, contemplation on impermanence or death. Uh, I wonder, Ajahn, if you have a view on um, contemplating something where, you know, we consciously choose as compared to open awareness as a practice. 
Uh, yeah, uh, thank you. I think they go um, whether they hand in hand or they go different times. You you use different things. Uh, the open awareness. I, I really like that. That when we're meditating, we really don't do anything. That's more like that kind of open awareness. Don't whatever happens, you see these perceptions coming. You see there's a vo uh, noise of mobile phone and then you, you see the irritation. Just be openly aware of it. Don't push it away or don't hold on to it. You just see that, oh, that's my perception. Start seeing them like that. It's more like an open open uh, awareness. Um, the contemplations do come handy quite often. Uh, for me, since I bow so many times, I always, when I sit down, I you know, bow to the Buddha statue and all that. And I really, really put my mind into it. I put effort into it. I'm bowing down to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. All of the good qualities, I, I really contemplate those things and it becomes really meaningful. And because I do it so much that it, it brings a lot into my life, into the practice. It brings the, the practice alive. There's a, like an impermanence you see it like you it lessens the value of the importance of the world or the i lose sorrows in this life we're so bound up, uh, up with the little things in life and they become so imp important contemplation can bring you have a lower distance to that everything is impermanent Whatever it is, there's there's multiple kind of contemplations. All of these things, the, all the teachings should be. Um, they become really they call with all the practice we have. The meaning, the med this kind of meditation, it goes hand in hand. You cannot leave one aspect out. I guess you could sort of go to a point. There is a lot of mindfulness meditation these days, and you just leave everything out. But I, I think the baby goes out with the bathwater. If you don't have sweetness with your practice, you kind of really get deep with your practice. It's lacking something. Eventually, you just lose. It becomes like a exercise practice or something it's uh, there's a there's a value to it but it's lacking some kind of sweetness mm. very good thank you for the question is there anything else Ajahn there's another online question um, can we meditate too much is it an escape for some people mm. um, uh, I doubt it I mean it, it it's. I could never see. I'm. I really cannot see. How can you meditate too much? Um, are you escaping from the world if you're meditating? I don't think. The, I think the world is too interesting for most people. Um, as you know, world pulls you in. World is gives us all kind of pleasures. It, it it excites your senses. It keeps you keeps you interested. If the meditation goes really well, you tend to naturally lose the interest in the world to an extent, and you start slowing down. It's really difficult to escape the world. It really, really is. Even for us monks, it tends to pull us in really quickly. 
So we have to be very careful with that. So I don't think it, it, it uh, if anything, you, you are into, I would say that that would be more like a depressed mind. I mean, how, how can you escape into happy mind? Meditation should be, all of this practice should be really, really happy. We t that's a really big thing, I think, where we forget quite often, and perhaps we don't teach it enough. All of this practice brings a tremendous joy in your, in your life. So how can you say that that's escaping? If you have a lot of gratitude to life, and you say, oh, I'm escaping into this beautiful gratitude, uh, it just doesn't make sense, any oxymoron. If you're saying that it was like, I'm really enjoying it being by myself, and it's really, it's not this kind of depressed state, it's, an, it's the opposite. You really feel content and happy. You're not escaping. It's a very natural state for mind to be. Mind always looks for happinesses, and that's why distractions are easy, because you think that's happiness. So it doesn't make sense. In, and I, I, I hope you understand that my explanation. This practice is not just like we're sitting, enduring pain. It's not going anywhere. You're just becoming dull. No, it actually, it's interesting. If somebody ever comes to us monks and say they had really good, good meditation, and they just really like just blank, their face just doesn't have an expression, and it's like, oh, you know, it's like this, and I was like, it. most often than not, it just sounds like they were in this dull state. But if the meditation really went well, they're really excited about the meditation. Like they can't, you know, they just, they have this tremendous joy in it. So be careful with your perceptions that, you know, meditation is not supposed to be joyous. I was just reading yesterday one of the suttas and the, uh, one of the kings went to see the Buddha and says, the monks are happy. Monks are happy in this monastery. That's why I respect the monks. And they seem to be, and that, the Buddha said, yeah, that is correct. When the monks are happy, you know they're doing the practice well. It brings joy into our lives. Don't forget that. It really is important. It's supposed to bring joy into your life. When you don't hold something so dearly, so closely, it's something becomes heavy. Anything becomes heavy. Your perceptions are heavy. Let them go. Let your perceptions go. Hold them not so tightly. You have perceptions? Yeah. Other people have perceptions. Don't hold it so tightly. Let them go. And life is easier. Whatever it is. Your will. Don't be so much in charge of your life. Let it go, becomes easier, the path becomes happier. Very good. Any other questions, comments, complaints? Yes, back in. Thank you so much. It's nice when it, we have a bit of a conversation, it feels like a, I'm doing something. <laughs> Hi, thank you. Mm. Um, I've only been coming for a few months, so I'm wow. very much a beginner. Yeah, yeah. September I started coming. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the sort of pressure that I can put on myself to, yep. you know, and so much of it is bound up with ego in a way, how we, how I feel I'm perceived by other people, my desire mm. to succeed. Mm. 
And I really like the idea of impermanence. It's helped me a lot with trying to let go of that sort of thing. For example, if you've got a big talk coming up at work or something. Yeah, yeah. But I'm still looking, you know, I'm almost concentrating on it too much to be able to let go of those kind of pressures that people put on themselves. Yeah, well, I'm sorry to stop you. No, yeah. no. Did, did you want to continue? I think, it, question, and really. sure, yeah, that's a, con- yeah, and, and it's a, um, you know, why questions go with why, when, what? That's a question. But the, no, sorry, just joking. We we had this one person in, in our Buddhist society in Perth, and he he's always goes into this. I, I, I like your, by the way, so he, he created me something. But he always goes, he st- goes into this long spiels about things. And one time we had Ajahn Suchato, he said, question starts with why, when, what? That's a question. But the, I, Yes, thank you. <laughs> My advice for this would be, whether it, it's valid, but it, it's a joke. But... Um, uh, Take a mantra. Your mantra is, it's good enough. It's good enough. It's good enough. It's good enough. What are we aiming? Not 100%, 70%. Good enough. Is this 70%? Yeah, good enough. Lower your expectations. Keep at it. It, it takes a lot of tremendous, that's the effort we need to put. And if you, like, even if you come here for like, maybe a month more, and you know, it takes as many, many months of effort and you keep at it the the ego is a strong and sticky thing what brings us a lot of grief in life but slowly slowly we chip at it and look i've been a monk for 11 years it's not like i i know everything and but it's slowly kept chipping with them living with ajahn brahm and him saying it's good enough don't worry about it you it's fine don't aim for too high lower your expectation take it as your mantra you have a big speech coming my advice is do it the best of your abilities and then you say good enough it is good enough i'm sure everybody will be if you're if you're happy doing something and you're at the end you feel i did the best of my abilities and that was good enough then it is nothing is ever perfect in life what is perfect Nothing, but yeah, like you said, you uh, you you've seen the benefits already, and look, they will continue if you just keep at it. That's my advice. Okay, one question there, Langdon, could you take the microphone that way? Yes, yeah, on your right. Last night I had a dream. Yeah. Um, I'd had a meal. I'd missed a meal, sorry. Mm. I'd missed a meal at six o'clock. And I couldn't, I couldn't satisfy my hunger. Mm-hmm. There was no way I could get another meal. There was no shop. There was no restaurant. There was no place that I could get another meal. And I was hungry. Mm. I couldn't find any place to get mm. any sort of satisfaction mm. from that hunger. Mm. I come to this extraordinary machine, an enormous machine, 
that rotates huge rocks. And the rocks somehow pulverize whatever they're pulverizing and turn it into good things. Small, but good things. Mm. And the only way I can get to something that might satisfy my hunger is for the machine to stop. And when it stops, you can get under the machine to the other side. But you don't know how long the machine's going to stop for. And that's a dilemma. And I didn't realize until where I was meditating that the dream, I thought it was about a lot of things. And it clearly in many ways has a Buddhist context because it's about desire. And it could be any kind of desire, sexual or anything. It's insatiable. But I suddenly realized that the machine that you really can't make a decision about is Buddhism itself. And I really love that. It seemed to come to me during the meditation that that was the case. Mm. That huge machine that moves the enormous boulders. Right, right. Okay. I like that simile. Did you did you have any questions or you just wanted to make you 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 just felt that you had like an experience? Yes. Yeah. What what do you make of that? Uh, <laughs> could the question like what? What is it? No, no, I like it. I really like and you you described it really nicely and it was and you, I I can really sense it uh, uh, that you yeah you move in big rocks and but then slowly slowly they become smaller and that maybe nourishes us or brings something alive. You could you know it becomes a gravel where you can walk on instead of, of having big boulders. I tell in my dream. Uh, not last night. This was 11 years ago. I was just becoming a monk. I moved to monastery 2010 permanently. And I had this dream. I go to this amusement park. And there's this person who's showing me everywhere around on this amusement park. And he said, look, the water levels used to be this high. This used where it used to be where the alcohol used to run. Like you can see this kind of like, you know, where the water level's been. Like, and this was like, the, you could see that there was like a tremendous excitement in that amusement park before. And it, there was this, it was a long thing about, you know, I walked into the amusement park and everything just seemed to be that it's, all the lights were turned off and everything was just like, there was no interest in that amusement park anymore. And then he took me into this ferry and he said, oh, I don't know the captain. And he said, don't worry about it. It's you. So I go into this ferry and he starts taking me away from this amusement park behind. And I felt the same thing when you felt that all those lights and all those things which I, I thought were interesting in life, there was this amusement park of life. I started to leave it behind me. It would, like it was this really, really vivid dream. I'm sure a lot of people we you had vivid dreams, and I took it a good sign. I I, I told I, I in my mind I thought it was a really good sign. I'm leaving these bells and whistles and uh, roller coasters and all these things in life. I'm leaving behind, and I guess the level of alcohol flowing there as well might have been pretty high in my life some point. And but it was a relief. 
like you said, it nourishes you or it gives you relief or something. This practice nourishes you. Meditation, it does nothing seems to happen. We're sitting quietly. It nourishes your mind. It gives us meanings in life. It changes our perceptions. It sustains us. It turns into big boulders into gravel, which sustains us. So yeah, all of these things, yeah, it, it's however you look at it, it's a beautiful simile. So I don't know, sometimes Freudian explanations about dreams, I don't know too much about it, but the, I think the dreams sometimes tell us what's happening in our minds. Mm. And the Buddha said, interestingly, if you want to sleep well, if you have nice, beautiful dreams, you have a lot of loving kindness in your, in your mind before you go to sleep. So try to put the effort of bringing um, kindness into your mind. And you can see that if you, if you, if you rest in mind before you, before you fall asleep, then you rest well. But yeah, interesting. Thank you. Thank you for your simile. Anybody else had dreams last night? <laughs> or is there any other questions? Right, I think we're going to leave it there. It's uh, it's getting late. I had a, quite a long day today. And if you have any other, tell something to tell me afterwards, I'm, I'm here for a few more minutes. And then I don't know if Paul uh, uh, wrote, uh, came, but then I'm going back to monastery tonight. So it's nice to see everybody. And I hope I see you again. Thank you so much.